Live from the Business Radio X studio in Atlanta, it's time for Dental Business Radio. Brought to you by Practice Quotient. Practice Quotient bridges the gap between the provider and payer communities. Now here's your host, Patrick O'Rourke. Hi there, friends of the dental business community. This is your host, Patrick O'Rourke. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, This show is brought to you by Practice Quotient. PPO analysis and negotiation. If you feel like you're one of the best providers of the best dentists, best doctors, best oral surgeons, don't you think that you should have the best representation so that you can get the best compensation? Practice Quotient, www.practicequotient.com. So thank you to our sponsor and also thank you to Harris. And so I would like to introduce my friend, my colleague, Harris Jen Alat of Trillium Partners. And so prior to letting Harris talk, I'm just going to say that this show is always been about the conversations that I have with other professionals that are subject matter experts in their industry. Uh, as a business owner, I don't have time to be an expert at everything. And so I find other really, really smart people that are neck deep in their own business. And so I can just ask them what's going on. And that's what this show is going to be about is what's going on in Harris's world. So Harris, with that, hello. Good morning, Pat. How are you? I'm pretty good. It's yeah. cold out there. The, the, the winter has, has come. Well, winter has come. <laughs> you know, I complain sometimes when I'm on the phone. I talk to people all over the country and I'm like, it's chilly. And they're like, oh, what's the temperature? I'm like, oh, it's like 50. And they're in Cleveland. They're like, it's 10 below or it's 10. And it'll be 10 below in a month. And I'm like, I'm really sorry about that. I think we might be giving Cleveland a run for its money this really? morning. It was in the 20s. There's yeah. frost on the ground. It's it's cold for Georgia. There was frost on the ground. Yeah, my kids thought it was snow, but I was like, you can't make a snowman with that. No. No. No, no snowmen yet. It's early. It's early. No, I am hoping for snow. I am too. You know, so I am the sledding champion of the woodlands. So nobody can go down that hill faster than me in the entire neighborhood. And that is a challenge to all of you in the woodlands. Okay. So since we're in holiday season, I have a visual of Chevy Chase on his, uh, on his little sled with the special stuff on the bottom. Is that Pat? Is not, that what, is not, that? not far off. <laughs> <laughs> not far off at all. Um, but it is definitely centrifugal force over um, talent or technique, you know? Uh, so, Harris, you know, one of the things that um, I wanted to talk to you about today, so I get into, I've, you know, I'm very uh, busy as all business owners, but there's been a lot going on in the insurance world that's kept me busy and I need to take my breaks. And so there's a lot of noise out there and I actually try to uh, like cut out a lot of it, right? And so the whole election thing, and this puzzles a lot of my friends and colleagues, but I, I just, I totally tune that thing out. And so when it was election weekend, I went fishing. I was in North Georgia. I was, I was fishing. That's what I was doing. I had no idea what was going on. Um, I knew it would be a little bit of a, um, uh, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, episode or as, you know, the play poop show. That's what my kids would call it. And I think that, uh, it's still happening and I'm still kind of ignoring it. Uh, we, we don't necessarily want to get into politics at the same time. What happens in D.C. and certainly in our center race here in Georgia um, has a lot to do with how the markets are perceived and how they react. And so I really want to kind of start off with that and hand it over to you. And Harris, tell me what I don't know and what a lot of listeners don't know. What's going on? What's the impact of it? Headline first, and then we'll get into details as needed. Perfect. Well, for the listeners, um, Trillium Partners is a part of UBS Financial Services, and so uh, we we are uh, we help uh, specifically we help dentists and dental professionals invest uh, either within their practice with their personal money, and so uh, as you can imagine, the last thirty days have been um, pretty active in client conversations, and, and everybody's having a similar question. Mm-hmm. which is, um, you know, we, we see change. How does change affect what I need to be doing? 
how um, you know, what is the impact of that change, and specifically with the markets and with my my practice. Um, we've been in an environment where for the last you know four years, um, it's been a pretty uh, you know. I don't want to say anti-regulatory, but it's definitely been less. Uh, it's also uh, been an environment where taxes are lower. I like most low people. taxes. I, most I people like do. less regulation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that having those two uh, areas have the wind at, at your back as a business owner or as a practice owner has been good. So, um, And a lot of our clients have had some of their best years over the last four years. Uh, and so you know, I think seeing change is concerning. Mm. But what I'm, you know, first of all, I commend you for going fishing during that time frame. I'm jealous. <laughs> I wish I could have done that. Uh, I'll invite you next time. I, you should. Um, I can. I can put put a hook on a line. All right. I, but uh, the the net is is that uh, didn't have that opportunity, and and what we're telling clients is is you have to be careful to to correlate politics, Washington, and the markets as a, what I call a one-to-one correlation. Mm. Uh, it doesn't work that way. Now, over longer-term periods, you can see the impact of what's going on in Washington uh, affect markets. But in the short term, at least, um, you know, a lot of what's going on can be noise. But going into the elections, there was this prediction of, this, of the blue wave and that we were going to see – uh, Biden win and, and the Senate was going to flip and there was going to be this mass movement to, to more of a Democratic controlled uh, political situation in, in Washington. And, uh, you know, that with the backdrop of the pandemic, there was a lot of, of investors that were very nervous. Now, what's happened since then is actually the market has been on fire, mm-hmm. especially the U.S. market has been on fire mm-hmm. since the election. It has been. Um, and it goes to show – and I, I'll even go back to four years ago. It always goes to show that what you think is going to happen doesn't necessarily always happen. Your gut doesn't always lead you to the right answer, especially in investing. And I think these two last elections have been really good examples of that. People forget that before Donald Trump won and it was a big surprise, there was this belief that if he won, that the markets were going to tank mm-hmm. because here we have this outsider and non-political you – know, he's going to do all these crazy things and um, – and overnight, the markets were down thousand plus points. Sure. By the next morning, the markets recovered and were up a thousand points. And then we went on a four year run where the where the economic environment, frankly, was really really positive, and the markets benefited from that. You know, it's always about you know stocks are a reflection of the companies that they represent. Mm-hmm. And so, if more people are drinking Coca Colas, and if more people are buying Apple phones and, and iPhones, and if more people are involved in the economy, you're going to see those stocks naturally migrate north. And so um, that's a great environment. Now what's happened is is after the election, um, the, the initial belief was is that, okay, President Biden's coming in. Here comes uh, – you know, the House is going to stay democratic, but it's lost a little bit of that control. And now the Republicans are at least – have an opportunity to hold the Senate. Um, and so it looks very similar to a gridlock type of environment. And, and what the market reflected in that was it liked it. Mm-hmm. It liked the idea that the, 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 the regulatory tax environment of the last four years might actually hang around for a while. Mm-hmm. And yet we're going to take maybe some of the noise at the top and the tweets and some of that stuff <laughs> off the table. Right, right. And I think the market liked that too because that creates a lot of uncertainty when you have that type of um, – you know what I call knee-jerk communication coming from Washington, right? Balls. And so, yeah, and so the, you know, as we stand today, November, we just finished November, so the election's November third. We just finished November, and we had the best month in the U.S. stock market since 1987. Wow, I did not know that. Market was up, you know, S and P up double digits for the month. So when you look at all of the major indexes um, that we follow, you know. The S&P being kind of at the top of the list or even the Dow for those that are familiar watching the TV news and following the markets, they had an incredible months in, 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 for November. And so in October was not a great month. Uh, same with September. So November um, kind of confirmed to us that um, I think the market likes the current political situation. 
Now, we're going to have to watch what happens in Georgia. Checks and balances? Are you telling me that that's a good idea and people like that? I think it's not that the people like it. It's that it's investors like it. Because what checks and balances do is it takes the extremes off of the table. And so uh, I look at the situation now. Let's say that the Senate does stay Republican. Well, it's going to be very difficult to get any kind of legislation passed if you've got a, a, a you know a bifurcated legislative branch. Mm-hmm. So um, I think uh, coming off of a lot of the uncertainty that we've seen, I think the markets responded very fa- favorably to that. Again, we've got to wait till January. If both the seats go Democratic, uh, you know, I could I, I could easily see maybe some more volatility coming in coming into the markets. But as an investor right now, it's a very interesting time because, again, lots of change, a lot of uncertainty. We're still in the middle of this pandemic. And Mm -hmm. although with vaccine news, we have a light at the end of the tunnel that seems to be coming out, um, you know, there's still some rough days ahead. And so what we're sharing with with clients and dental clients specifically is, you know, be, be, be nimble, be prepared. It's kind of like it's kind of like when you get on a plane. And you and you um, and the and the pilot. If you get on a plane and you don't hear anything from the pilot, and you get about halfway on in the air, and all of a sudden the plane starts bouncing around, it scares you because mm-hmm. you're not prepared for it, and and you have that immediate knee jerk emotional reaction to it, and um, and then you land, and pretty much all the planes land. But that little period of time is very unsettling. But if the plane, if the pilot comes on at the beginning and says, "Hey, gang." Everybody, we're going to have a little bit of rough air about halfway through. It's going to bounce for about two or three minutes. You know, put your seatbelts on. We're going to get through it. Everything's going to be fine. It's a very different experience. Mm, expectations. It's all about expectations, and it settles the client. And that's a little bit of what we're doing with with, with our dental clients today is, is telling them, look, it's going to be bouncy here for a little bit. Sure. Um, and especially until we can kind of get on the other side of the, of the pandemic and, and get all this political noise out of the way. But we're still going to land. And I think if, if we, you know, kind of looking forward, I see a lot of runway. I see a lot of really good positive opportunity in the markets going forward. And we can talk about that uh, a little bit later. But, um, you know, I, I think it is, as difficult as this year has been, to think that the markets are, are on track to have a double-digit return this year is nothing sort, short of phenomenal. That's and it, nuts. And if we, were in, if, you had, if we were sitting here doing this in March, and you said, Harris, what do you predict for the markets? I was, oh, we're going to be down 15, 20, 25%. That's, that's what you said. That's what I said? Yeah. To me. Recorded? <laughs> no, off the record. <laughs> no, um, you said it's going to be bumpy. Who knows? It is going to be bumpy. But because I think, I'm not Miss Cleo, and I, I can't predict the future. I, I'm not either. But and I respect Miss Cleo. She's got a great business. But um, she, you know, the, the the net is. I wonder how her portfolio is doing. I wonder how she invests. Uh, I bet she knows a lot about what's coming down the pike. I bet she does. <laughs> Maybe we should have her on the show. I think we should have Miss Cleo yeah. see what she thinks about markets. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of my take on 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 the elections and and markets. And and look, we're in Georgia. As you know, primarily in, in our dental business specifically, we're, we're in the South. Mm-hmm. And, when, and depending on who you're talking to. God bless Georgia. Yeah. Depending on who you're talking to, if you're inside Metro, um, you're having a different conversation and a different outlook on the world and a different outlook on the future than you are if you're talking to somebody in Tifton mm-hmm. or somebody in Macon. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's difficult. That's a challenge because every conversation has a little bit of a different tone. But I'll tell you, the elections created a very um, hyper um, sensitive environment, and that trickled into investing too. And, and Is that right? Oh, absolutely. So you really shouldn't know. Um, let's speak to the hypersensitivity. I've had too many conversations with people from people, family, and friends, um, and colleagues that uh, that I respect. And they get uh, very chicken little, and they're like, "The sky's falling, and it's going to be da da da." And I. I said, look, man, here's the deal. All right. I grew up in Florida, right? Where every hurricane, this is the big one and it's going to level all of us. All right. Florida's still there, right? Disney World's still there. Miami's still there. South Beach is still there. Tampa, Florida, still there. You know, it's, it's a lot of hype. And, you know, I feel that and little embarrassed that as a culture that we're so easily pit against each other over. Um, what really seems to be trivial matters. Um, and that's my take on that. Yeah. 
I, I, I was watching, uh, I'm a big college football fan, and I was watching the, the Iron Bowl this last weekend in the Alabama-Auburn and that rivalry and how heated it is. Yeah, it's crazy. And, and being in Alabama, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Georgia Bulldog. So when I go to Alabama, it doesn't matter who I'm talking to. I'm the enemy, right? So it, 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 at least we know where the lines are. I don't have to worry. About, but it's amazing to me. Um, I go into Alabama, and, and you'll go into a small town in Alabama, and there's the – there's the Auburn dentist, and then there's the Alabama dentist. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's and it's across the board, all across the state. And but what I find really interesting is those two entities. It's it's a it's a heated rivalry. I mean, and that Bitter. game is such a big deal to them. Huge. And when I look at the political environment this last election, I felt like it was Auburn Alabama. Mm-hmm. It was two entities that just don't like each other and can't find a lot of common ground. And, and depending on where you stand, you're going to be on one side of the line or the other. And, and that battle, that election, whatever, it's, it's a drag out, you know, mm-hmm. everything goes. And, and it's almost kind of the way, going to your point, it's almost kind of the way that we look at the political environment today. It's like my, my team, mm-hmm. my, my, my alumni, my team, I'm going to root for them thick and thin. And, and if you're not a part of that, if you don't believe in that, then I don't want to have anything to do with you. And mm-hmm. I think that's dangerous. I agree. And, and I also think that, um, we had a policy for Thanksgiving. We had, we did have some family members that were there. I told them on the front end, no political conversations at the dinner table, period. Mm-hmm. If you do, you are getting, I don't care if you're the oldest person at the table, you are getting asked to leave because, um, I knew going in, we had some differing opinions on the politics, and and did not even want to go down that road. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's interesting because my opinion has been exactly what I state. Like I'm not worried. You know, I, I do what I got to do. If I can't do anything about it, I don't worry about it. And my neutrality or ambivalence, if you will, pisses people off. Yeah. You know, and they're like, well, I don't understand how you can't. And I'm like, look, you're getting all worked up. Which right? is my exact point. Listen, when I go to Alabama, I'm a Georgia fan. Everybody hates me. It's like right. being, it's like being in the neutral zone on a political preference. Everybody right. doesn't, now, now you've kind of created that. We both don't like you. Right. Right. I'm like, listen, <laughs> Uncle Fred, calm down. You're going to have a heart attack. That's right. All right. <laughs> Spewing gravy all over the place. Chill out. Cool breeze. That's right. Um, <laughs> you want to hear a funny Alabama story? Yeah. You know, so you, I grew up in Florida and and when I got to the Georgia, right, it's it's a little bit of a culture shock. I love it here. I really do. Um, and this is where I've chosen to raise my children. Now, I was still in the insurance industry at the time, and so we had to build a network. Right? And so they sent me over there to Alabama. I'd never been to Alabama before in my life. And so I go to a very small town, Dennis, and I went in there. And um, I don't remember the name of town. I probably wouldn't say if I did. Uh, and <clears throat> it was uh, a little bit of an older practice late with older equipment and the uh, gentleman uh was there and he he said he, he kind of gestured to his office and wait for me there and i said okay no problem so i'm sitting there i'm waiting he comes in and he's got an apron on it's like some blood on it you know it's like it was a serious place anyway so he sits down right you know he, and he, he hasn't said a word and he just looks at me and he goes todd wargle i said i'm sorry sir um, can you repeat that? Todd War Eagle. And I, I said, well, I promise I'm not dense. All right. So just one more time. I'm watching your lips. Can you repeat that? I, I have no idea what he's saying. And he goes, Wargle. That's what he says. Wargle. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so he looks at me like I'm from another planet and says, Todd or... War Eagle. And so at this point, I kind of dart my eyes around and I see an elephant somewhere on uh, the side of the wall. And I go, Todd. And he goes, all right, then carry on. (laughs) (laughs) But there's a level of truth. That is, I mean, we talk about it in Uh, Joking Matter. Very true story. It is a real thing. It is a real thing. So, um, but I look at the end of the day for, for, for folks looking at it from an investment standpoint, there were a lot of people coming out of 08 and 09 who didn't like the political environment. And they they invested behind that belief, meaning I'm not going to take any risk. I'm going to keep money in the money markets. And we had come off of, of the Great Recession. 
and frankly, they lost and they missed one of the greatest yeah, tenure opportunities. Seven. Yeah, and 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 you don't get those. You only get a couple of those a lifetime. And so, my my hope is is that people aren't investing based on their political beliefs. Because to your point, the sun did come up this morning. Mm-hmm. You know, I did have my my coffee this morning, and I'm going to probably have lunch this afternoon at some point. And life, my kids go to school. Life will go on. It might be a little bit different. And you know, I'm not saying to be ambivalent to the political environment, and especially when it comes to investing, you do have to take that into consideration. But it's not the only consideration. But it's not the one-to-one. Right. And that's the mistake that I see a lot of folks make. I like that. So it's not the one-to-one correlation. So great news for all of you guys out there who uh, still have uh, some some hard feelings. It's time to get over it. We just had Thanksgiving, and, you know, at Thanksgiving, it's a time to be grateful. And, you know, I think that that also needs to be taken into account. And at a time in a country where I – I, I truly feel that all of us should be coming together to be have outside forces pit us against each other. It is silly to me, you know, hark back to the like nine 11. Remember the yellow ribbons? hundred percent, you know, hundred percent at that point in time, we knew who the enemy was. It didn't matter who your political beliefs were and everybody was kind of aligned. You know, we, we've got a, a silent enemy that we've been fighting for almost a year and it's a shame how politicize that guy mm-hmm. and how um you know I, I think it 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 all those things kind of came together at a really bad time and i think it's a reflection of just how divided we are and, and i agree with you i think that we've got to find some some common ground and you know there's another kind of thing that's going on which is you know we're seeing these um I, not to go down another rabbit hole but we see go ahead the that's what we're here for <laughs> the effect of social media Mm-hmm. You know, I laugh. My my my. Uh, I have. I won't. I won't out them. But I have a, a family member who spends an inordinate amount of time on social media. Uncle Fred. Uncle Fred, as we'll call him for the for the show. And Uncle Fred, um, every conspiracy theory, every issue that comes out, and he's just dialed into all of it. And and I and and the sad part about Uncle Fred is is that Uncle Fred's um, his mental state. It's not good, mm-hmm. and and I think there's a lot of folks out there that are like that. They've gotten sucked into this, and and it's causing it's causing tertiary issues in their life. It's it's making them negative, depression, suicide rates, or all this kind of stuff. Right, and I, I think agree. that there's, um, you know, there's a lot of positive. One of my uh, there's a book that I read two years ago. It's probably one of the best books I've read in a long time. It's called Factfulness. And what factfulness? It's a guy that did a TED talk. He's from Europe, so he's not a he's not from the U.S. But aren't his, they all socialists in Europe? Well, you would think so. But this guy's and and I'm just kidding. I don't know I, <laughs> I don't know what his political beliefs are. Uh, but the premise of the book is is how much better life is than we give it credit for. And Amen. it goes through all these statistical whether it's poverty rates, whether it's uh, literacy rates, and it's all across the globe. Um, and he makes a case for life today is really, really good. Mm-hmm. And the things that our grandparents and great-grandparents dealt with, we don't deal with. Um, and, and even with this pandemic, I mean, you, you look back at uh, the Spanish flu in 1918. We had 100 million people at that time. And so almost 700,000 people died out of 100 million in 1918. That would be the equivalent today of almost 2 million people dying from the, from the Spanish flu. And not that we're not not that two hundred seventy thousand is not a big number, but you've got to give credit to the fact of of science and medicine and the ability to fight something like this. Um, and it kind of goes back to your point. I feel like that uh, you know people have gotten divided, and, and through that, it, it causes us to be more negative to each other. And we we pit these kind of me versus you, or your belief versus my belief, instead of kind of finding more common ground. Um, and I think that's detrimental. I think it's detrimental to people's psyches. I think it's detrimental to, to families. It's detrimental um, uh, to, to just kind of society in general. So my, my hope is maybe, and I'm sure there's people that would be on this radio show that would that would blame one side or the other for that, and maybe there's a little truth to that. But maybe maybe an outcome of what's happened here is, is when this is all said and done. I've got one of my business partners, he came in my office yesterday. He said, you know what I thought about? I thought about after this summer, when all this is over with, everybody's going to be in a mood to party. 
there you go. I hope he's right. Right. I hope he's right. And I hope we, I hope everybody has a really good excuse to go do something fun or take that trip that they didn't take or whatever. And, and that there's maybe a, an upliftingness that comes out of this. I do believe that with every negative thing that happens, there's always a positive that comes out. Maybe that's the positive is that we just we party like it's 1999, Pat. Amen. I, I love 1999. That was a good year, baby. Um, you know, it just occurred to me that maybe one of the issues here is because of all the social distancing that we can't hug it out. Mm-hmm. You, know, you just need to hug it out, right? Everything will be all right. You got to hug it out. And, you know, the the sky is not falling. I try to find things to be grateful for every day. You know, what brings – I am happy is when, you know, I make my kids laugh. You know? Yeah. That, that makes me happy. Uh, believe it or not, I was just in Florida. You know, sunsets make me happy, and that sounds really kind of – I'm a sunset guy too. Yeah. yeah. My, my wife makes fun of me about it, but uh, I, I will stop what I'm doing for a good sunset, no doubt about it. Because when you're looking up there, you know, and I, when I used to live in Florida and, you know, you're in the grind and you're stuck in traffic and you look up in the sky, you know, the sunset's down there every day is just a work of art. And no matter what's happening, you just, you know, you look up there and it's, I always felt it was like God's way of saying, hey, I can do this. Your problem's not that big. Yeah. You know? I yeah. think I also have a little bit of an element of I made it through another day. Right. You know, you know, it kind of <laughs> signifies I made it through another day. Yeah, it's a I, good thing. I tell people all the time. I'm like, listen, you woke up. All right. It's a, <laughs> you woke up. You had coffee. Um, You have indoor plumbing. You didn't have to go outside. Right. And you know what? It's a great day to have all of your appendages. And everybody kind of stops and they look at me and they're like, and I just smile and look at them. And uh, you start to sing Kumbaya. Anything like that? Do you kind of? Not yet. You know, I mean, you have to get, you know, no, I haven't got that far. Um, is, you know, I, I don't think that I'm overly, um, like sunshine and daydreams, you know, it's, but at the same time, I think that you know, like pity and, um, you know, kind of dwelling on things that you can't do anything about is a waste of time. Yeah. You know, um, so that's just, that, that's who I am, I suppose. Um, you know, and, uh, anyway, we'll get off of that topic. Um, sunshine and daydreams. Are, are your dental clients feeling happy or are they feeling pitiful, you think? Um, I think our clients are all, they're doing well. So that's kind of the difference. Um, you know, I, we tend to represent more established practices because our job, really the basic premise of what we do here is that we have to go convince insurance companies to pay our clients more than they're going to pay everybody else. And I know this sounds crazy, Harris, but they're just not in a hurry to do that. And so, you know, they tend to be established. So the very surprising thing to me was, you know, there's a shutdown, you know, and we've we've had to curtail the strategies and customize the strategies probably for every single client at least once this year. And, they're, you know, everybody's kind of worried, right, at the same time. Then they open back up. Now they're busy. I would say that we are our clients as a whole. And that's why my anecdotal doesn't mesh with what I'm hearing from like the ADA and what I'm hearing from some of the other studies that I, I, I respect and I'm sure are, are totally, you know, legit. Um, just simply because of the people that I talk to is not a reflection of the entire industry as a whole. Yeah. What are you seeing out there? I had this exact same conversation earlier this week at lunch with, with, uh, kind of a, a dental centric peer who's in the, in the software business. Mm-hmm. And, uh, his comment was, cause I asked him a similar question and he said, well, uh, 20% of dental practices will be out of business this time next year. That's what our data is showing us. 20%. Wow. And I said, I, I, I find that very hard to believe. I said, I'm, I'm, you know, I have a lot of clients that I think were, at that retirement red zone, you know, I'm 62, I'm thinking about it, or I'm 65, or I'm 70, and I, I should have probably done something. This created a catalyst for them to put their practices oh, on for, the market. For sure. But that was part of a natural evolution. It's just they kind of maybe got off the fence a little bit earlier or maybe got motivated a little bit more to, to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my – 40 and 50 year old dentists. I just don't see them. I mean, I'm having similar conversations like what you're talking about. They're having relatively speaking, really good years. Mm -hmm. And some of the slack from the shutdown got picked up over the summer and into the fall. Um, 
Now they're all scared about another shutdown, yes, which is absolutely. which is a legitimate concern. But um, but they're doing really well. But the gentleman I was eating with, he said, "Be, be cognizant of one thing because you're interfacing with." Dentists that have retirement plans, that have investments, that are, um, you know, probably a little bit more mindful of their financial picture. That's not all dental practices, mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot of dental practices out there that, frankly, were not doing that well going into a COVID environment, and then that got exposed. And you know, you, you couple that with um, the 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 DSO private equity environment. What you've done is is you've kind of created a perfect storm, and and you know we've had these conversations through some of our networking meetings and such as that you know there was a period a couple of years ago where it felt like the DSO wave was starting to to slow down a little bit, mm-hmm. and um, you know and we've seen different cycles of DSO through multiple decades where things get really hot and they kind of slow down, and a lot of it's based upon liquidity and interest rates and, and, and sure. the appetite for private equity. Mm-hmm. But right now is a, is, is a perfect storm because for, for DSOs at least. If, if, you're a, if you own a DSO or, or if you're in that marketplace, um, you know, the world is your oyster because there's a lot of practices that are frankly in this kind of hanging on by a thread and they need an out. And DSOs are providing a very easy – out. Right. Um, and a check. And a check. You know, and the, hey, you don't have to manage people anymore. Um, you know, there's, you know, there's a lot that goes on with running a business that's a bit of a hassle and that some people are burnt out on, I, I think. And that's what I, I'm seeing. And I certainly hear in the pitches and, you know, full disclosure, you know, we have, you know, independent clients and we have, you know, larger, you know, corporate clients. And sometimes I have heard some independent folks, you know, kind of rail against the boogeyman of, you know, corporate dentistry. And I'm like, that's not your biggest problem. I mean, you really you just focus on your own business and you don't have to worry about that or the election for that matter or anything else. You do what you do well and you'll be just fine, you know, but focus on you and stop worrying about things that you can't control. Yeah. It's always kind of my, my, my point to them. Um, I feel like there's a crescendo of, uh, different and for for the right reasons and you know, all the reasons that you mentioned um, there's folks looking to uh, partner and or sell um, there's some folks that are leaving the market and then there is um, also um, the private equity I thought some of that money may find itself in other places um, not so mm-hmm. not so and it's um, I, I think that that is definitely here to stay. I am excited about some of the different things that I am seeing from DSOs, um, you know, a little bit more organized. Um, I had a very uh, interesting conversation yesterday about it with some folks up north about uh, medical dental integration. And uh, that to me is that's the next phase. And that's where, you know, putting that puzzle together, if you can do it, is fascinating to me. I agree. And, you know, I think that there's an interesting kind of, to use the term crescendo, <clears throat> there's an interesting kind of phenomenon, I think, going on in, in the dental industry where, and, and it somewhat kind of replicates what's going on in the country. Outside of the urban areas um, where you have, Family practices in certain cases might be two or three generations, and and that dentist and that dental practice is a is a part of the community. Mm-hmm. They're, they're an integral part of that community, and uh, you know the bedside manner and the chair or the chairside manner, and you know how are your grandkids doing and that kind of stuff is is really important. And um, and so I, I you know I don't know how a corporate environment can replicate that personal community touch. But I also see the, the the disadvantage being is is that DSO and especially the large DSOs are 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 going the other end of the spectrum where they're going what I call futuristic. They're using AI. They're using um, you know technology to market and to to really drive business towards uh, their their practices. And you know both models are good models. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I don't know 
if AI and that type of if that type of environment, the the auto call and the auto scheduling and all of the different uh, software programs that dental practices see today, does it make its way out of the large urban areas into more you know what I call rural dental practices? Good question. Yeah, I don't know, but that's where I feel like the rubber is kind of meeting the road right now. We're getting close to that in the next ten years. Um, how we interface with, with with dental practices is going to change dramatically, and you can see it in all the different, even in the specialty mm-hmm. spaces. You know what, what's Invisalign doing to to ortho practices? I mean, that's a smile direct. That's a that's a that's a huge, very very uh, big disruptor. Disruptor, and for sure. And so, you know, how do those two entities kind of come together, and where will be the compromise? I think that's going to be the really interesting thing to see over the next five to ten years with dentistry is is that that marriage between the high tech mega corporate you know everything has a has a has a has a metadata to it versus mom and pop come on here let me let me hug your face and you know (laughs) (laughs) roll tide war eagle right see but for i think that healthcare is inherently local and i think that for every person that says yes there's going to be a person that says no and that's just how human nature is. And as a you know self-proclaimed contrarian, that's kind of how I roll. Um, you know, if you look at the medical space right now, you know when you know when the ACA or Obamacare, whatever you want to call it, whenever that when that happened, all right, that was a um, sea change. All right, that is a material shift. That was a big big event. Um, and then you had all of the ACOs um, created, right? And so you have. All of the money in, in private equity, everybody consolidated. So you, you are, and it's been this way for several years now, by the way. Um, there's two camps, right? You have the, I've already been bought, right? I'm a, I'm part of Piedmont. I'm part of Emory. I'm part of Wellstar here locally, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and then you have the other camp, which is never going to sell in my cold, dead hands, right? Now, my doc, my personal physician, I told him if he's, if he goes into ACO, he's going to lose me as a patient. And, you know, I'm pretty direct. I mean, you know, me, anybody who's ever met me or talked to me for longer than 10 minutes, they know I don't beat around the bush. And I told my doctor, I said, look, I don't even like you. I don't like you that much at all. You're always telling me what I can't do. All right. I like you to tell me something I can do. Um, drink more water. That doesn't count. Um, look, but I trust you. I do. And it's very hard to get into that trust in something that I, you know, obviously living is pretty important to me. Um, and, but at the same time, I don't, I, I want, I'm in that guy's hands. I trust him. I don't, anything that happens behind the scenes to me is, I trust that guy. And I do think that there's a, a difference. I've heard the pharmacy comparison before. Yeah. I still think there's a big difference between who puts fingers in your mouth and who's, you know, putting pills into a bottle. Um, I could be wrong, you know, and, and we, I think time will tell, you know, ultimately, for our listeners that are here, um, you have a lot of young guns and entrepreneurs that are building their own practices. Some of them are buying practices. You have the emerging DSOs, and I could go on forever and do a whole show on what you're not thinking about. Look out, all right, so you can't get credentialed tomorrow and get high fees, by the way. But more importantly, for the other listeners that are sitting on a nice practice, how do you feel, like what? What characteristics should or criteria should folks with established practices think about to sell or not? If you want to comment on that. What should they, what should they think about? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. If, well, so what are your clients thinking yeah. about? Cause I'm sure they come to you and they say, Hey, look. They do. So it's interesting. Uh, again, um, I can give you kind of two examples. Please. Uh, one is um, part of why I love dentistry and love working in this industry and, and helping dental practices and helping dental professionals is um, you know, dentistry is, is a is an industry is a really great industry. I mean, you see all the report in U.S. News and World Report always call oh, it's the number one profession, and you still earn a great living. You can still be a, a great member of your community, and I think it's one of the last. Um, industries that still has that family element. I can't tell you how many of our clients, either their parents were a dentist, their kids are a dentist, their brother's a dentist, they met their wife at 
hygiene school, you know, all mm-hmm. those. There's this kind of interesting um, connectivity with with uh, with dental that doesn't really exist a lot in, in other industries that I see. So that's a, that's pretty special. And one of my uh, one of my best friends, uh, his dad was a dentist, and he grew up wanting to be a dentist. He was, you know, they're very close, and he went in and in his joined his dad's practice, has bought his dad out. So now his dad's kind of going into retirement as he's taking on mm-hmm. the next kind of wave or next generation. And he's, and he's a great dentist, but you know, to see that and to watch that dream kind of come alive and to see both of them being successful is, uh, is really, you know, it's, it, it's, it's heartwarming. It makes you feel good about what dentistry is. And they're both, extremely connected in their community. One's in politics. Dad is now in politics and, and he's on boards at the hospital and, and nonprofits and doing a lot of work in the, in the community where I grew up. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I think that's really, that's important. Now, the other side of that is, uh, the dentist that got us involved in dentistry. So, just kind of backstory, just real right. quick. Is, how, how did you get into yeah. this, this wacky world? I didn't. We live in? I didn't. I did not uh, go to school. I didn't go to high school thinking I can't wait to invest dentist money. <laughs> <laughs> when I grow up, I'm going to be a dentist. Um, it, it was very kind of, of haphazard, and, and, and frankly, the relationship that we were trying to start was with uh, the CPA Association. We were trying to get in with the Georgia Society of CPAs and got all the way kind of to the ninth inning and backed up, but we had this idea of creating an affinity with an association specific to an industry and dentists. Uh, we had a connection. Uh, we had a client who was a, uh, a dentist up in Woodstock, and he was on the board of the Georgia Dental Association, and he came to us and said, hey, the Georgia Dental Association is looking to form a, an endorsement and a partnership with a financial entity. And this is back in the 2000, 2001, 2002, the dot-com bubble had burst, and surprisingly enough, there were a lot of dentists that were spending time during their lunch breaks day trading stocks. <laughs> it was a hobby. And unfortunately, that can be an expensive hobby uh, when things don't go your way. And so the, the executive director said, I'm, I'm getting tired of taking calls where one of our members has had to either come out of retirement or is in really bad financial situation because they're doing all this stuff on their own. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of where this all got – brought up but this dentist in Woodstock um, introduced us and said here's this group that does retirement plans for large companies um, but they say they can actually drill that down to a dental practice and and you know do you want to listen so they, they actually did a full proposal went to different states Florida already had this uh, and a couple other states already had relationships like this 20 years ago um, but we presented something that was really unique. But that Woodstock dentist was the one that, without him, we would not. We he was our in. Mm-hmm. He was the one that kind of got us connected in. Um, and then we had a couple other uh, 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 people that we knew that were involved as well that, that kind of helped put good words in. That dentist just sold his mm-hmm. practice, and um, he's got sons that are that are not in dentistry. Um, and he sold to a DSO. Mm-hmm. And he needed to maximize that transaction. Sure. And he's exactly like what you just described. Doesn't want to do the day-to-day. Doesn't want to deal with the staff and all of the stuff that comes up in the, you know. And uh, he just wants to be in the mouth for you know, right. this next five to seven years. Found a partner in a DSO environment. He can continue to work. He still owns his building. So it, it actually worked out really well for him. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I've seen it work out quite well. So kind of going back to your your original, you know, I I have a little of a bit of a bias, and my bias is is because of of watching my friend and, and watching our clients who have who have been able to stay independent. Um, I love that model, mm-hmm. and I love the the entrepreneurial aspect of it. And I'm not, and I'm fine with a with you know I think it's great if a dentist wants to open up multiple practices in multiple locations and build a little mini DSO. I, you know I, I see benefit to that. Um, where I where I get challenged sometimes, and I tell people this all the time, is is I'll go into like I'll be traveling and I'll go to Macon or I'll go to Augusta or I'll I'll be in Rome, and 
I'll pass one of the big mega DSOs. And so I'll go in on, on Google reviews or I'll go search and see what that looks like. Like what, what is that – what are people saying about those entities? Because I'm frankly looking at how is it going to impact my client who's also in that market. Mm-hmm. And what I tell them all the time is, is exactly what you said. Worry about your dentistry. Worry about taking care of your patients and making sure they have the best experience and take care of your staff. Because if you take care of your staff, your staff's going to take care of your patients. Amen. And so um, don't worry about the fact that so-and-so dental's down the street. And then I'll show them. Like, and the reason why I'm confident in that is look at the reviews here. There will be 30 bad reviews for that, for that, dental pra- that, that DSO dental practice and one good review <laughs> online. Right. You know, that model's got to change. And that's a different kind of down in a different rabbit hole. But that that model has to change because I think people, to your point, so I mm-hmm. trust. Mm-hmm. And, and and the person that asks me you about earn my, it. Yeah. And it goes back to that mom and pop we were talking about earlier. That that person that asked me about my grandkids and and wants to hug my face and 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 gives me that personal touch. It's going to have an easier way of getting to my trust. It's the old saying, I don't, I don't care about how much you know until I know how much you care. Right. That, and I excellent. think that there's a, there's, a little in, there's a little bit of that that goes on in, in the dental world. And so until, until the DSO model can humanize or until the metrics, the financial metrics, change to where the, the mom and pops can't survive, I, I still think there's a place for that. And the only caveat I'll, I'll say to that is, is that, you know, I was mentioning like the Tiftons and those, you know, there are, there are, um, you know, little, little boutique type stores in those small towns. Woodstock's and, not a small town. Uh, Tifton. Uh, Tifton. Oh. And Tifton's not a small town. It's, think it's, it's Tifton, think yeah. Tifton tourism.com. Yeah. Cordial. Cordial. Oh, yeah. or, or for my, my, my family's from Montezuma, Georgia. Have you ever been to Montezuma, Georgia before? I actually have been. You have been to Montezuma, Georgia? I have been everywhere in this state. You know, people in Montezuma, Georgia used to go. There was a a, – I didn't spend a lot of time there, but I've definitely been there. Growing up, they used to go to what they called the Big G. The Big G was the big discount box store, or they would have, you know, Jerry's. You know where you went and bought your 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 stuff, your Christmas gifts. You went to you know, or if you went to eat a hamburger, you went down to the to Troy's downtown at the it, it, it did the square hamburgers like the mm-hmm. But when you go to Montezuma, I can tell you there are Amazon packages being delivered to Montezuma, Georgia today. And um, and so the reason I bring that up is is that I think that even in small towns, if the convenience and the cost metric hit a certain point. Going back to your comment about trust, there's a there's a there's a level of folks that will that will deviate from trust, sure for cost, absolutely convenience, and so that's going to be the question. I think is is does DSO get to that kind of that tipping point where cost and convenience can overlay the that the, the mom and pop trust? That's a very good analogy. In contrast, I like that. You know, um, the 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 small towns. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that, that's an excellent point, and so it kind of just goes right back to the providers or the dentists, the owners of themselves. You got to stay on top of your game, um, and you have to marry tech. You have to be. You can't be anti-technology. You can't be anti. Yeah, that's like know. being. Um, I don't know, anti-American, anti-breathing. I don't like breathing. You know, so if you know anybody who uses Amazon, you can't be against technology. Um, and it makes your life easier. You know, if you have a cell phone, that's like somebody with, you know, I, I don't want to use that cell phone. I would much prefer to use the one that has a cord and it's connected to the yeah. wall. Yeah. And there were people about? that, I mean, you and I know there were people that were like that for a while, you know. Yeah, yeah, nah, nah, looking at you. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know you got that phone. I can, yeah, when you, when you press the button, it's be careful when you give Nana the phone though, cause that means you're going to have to teach her how to use it and that, and then you become the, her IT specialist on top of that too. That's a dangerous job. That's what my son's for. Dylan O'Rourke, <laughs> IT specialist. I'm going to set up an LLC for him actually. Um, so this has been, this has been great. How are we doing on time? Hold on. Let me look good. at my producer, John Ray. Yeah. John Ray says we're good. So I can wrap up like this all day. Um, 
one of the things that, uh, you know, I like about you, I like many things about you, uh, Harris. And, but one of the other things that I, impressed me when I first met you is a lot of your humanitarian efforts that you do. And you do this really kind of under the radar, but I just like to, um, bring that up as something that I respect and admire about you. you. And so can you just, um, you know, kind of briefly tell us where your passion is, where you're giving back? Yeah. So, uh, and, and I give you credit, Pat, you nailed the last name. That's, uh, at the beginning, it did take <laughs> a little bit of, a, a little bit of training, but you got it. Uh, but if you look up Genelat, Genelat, uh, my family comes from, and, and by the way, when you have a last name like mine, you better know where it comes from. Because mm. if you don't, you're going to sound really stupid. So I learned that at an early age. You better know where this comes from. It comes from the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> Ezekiel chapter three. Well, there is a religious con- connection here is, is that my, my family were French Huguenots that were persecuted and they escaped France and went to Switzerland. Mm. And Switzerland, uh, the area that my family grew up uh, was from was actually annexed from France into Switzerland. It's right around Lake Geneva. But if you know the history around Huguenots, Huguenots are, uh, have always been known to be very community oriented, give back. Uh, it's kind of in the blood. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's, Partly where I'll answer that question is, is I think it just comes from my heritage and the fact that my family, you know, I grew up uh, in an environment where, you know, my grandfather was very involved in the the local, uh, it's a, and I grew up in Gainesville, Georgia, there's a thing called Good News at Noon, which is a, uh, they provide services to underprivileged entities. And, and frankly, the dental in, uh, industry has, has, joined in with that and is very involved with Good News at Noon, which is, which is really something that's absolutely fantastic to watch. Um, but, I, you know, it was taught to me as a kid. I mean, I can remember my grandfather uh, gr- getting my brother and I during a summer and us going down to the Good News warehouse and getting the paint out and painting walls for two hours. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and and so, and, and I can remember my dad donating and and, and being involved in the community, and, and same with my mom too. So um, that part of it is is something that that I was very blessed to to be taught at an early age, and I'm trying to get my kids, you know, trying to keep that pay it forward and keep that going. Um, but I think for a lot of the folks, um, uh, I'll tell you the story because I, th- I think people. People give, and I think this time of year is a, a prime example, where people give because they feel like, okay, this is the right thing to do, or you know, I'm supposed to be giving, or I'm supposed to be involved. But they make that donation, or they do that community service, or they do something, and, and then it's done. They feel good about it, and they move on. And my story is a little different because, um, as I mentioned, my dad was uh, – he retired. He sold a small business. And after he retired, he went and started building habitat homes in, in my town. And it was through our church. And so um, he I'll give you the, the short story but because uh, I know we're about to run out of town. But um, he was building habitat homes, and, uh, and he, was, he met a group of guys, and they were going in, and, and the church had donated a plot of land, and they were building lots. Or they had lots, and they were building houses on these lots. And so uh, – Right before, I guess it was the year after uh, he sold his business, he was spending all this time doing that. And then the week of his 60th birthday, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And uh, six months later, he was gone, and which was very detrimental for us, probably one of the worst things I've ever gone through in my life And because my dad and I were very close. And so Sorry. after that was over with, thank you, uh, after that was over with, remember I said all bad things, there's good that comes out of them. Mm-hmm. This is a great example. Um, after that happened, uh, the, the pastor of the church approached us uh, and said, hey, we've got one last lot that's left, and um, it's a horrible lot. It's got horrible runoff. We probably don't need to build a house on it, and we've run out of funds. There's no more money left to, to, to dedicate. But we thought, you know what? Your dad was so involved with this. Would you like to build a house in his honor on this lot? And um, and, and would you be willing to donate the down payment to get the house started? Because every Habitat house has to have a kind of a down payment to get it started. And then the person who's getting that house has to pay some into it. You get donations. It's a lot of hands go into getting a, a Habitat house built. Gotcha. I did not know that. And I said, absolutely. I said, I said, under one condition, 
And the one condition was is that the family, our family would be able to work on the house and we would be able to dedicate days for the family to come work on the house. And so mm-hmm. he said, okay, yeah, but we can do that. So fast forward, we end up building the house, um, spent, I, I, we put the roof on the house in July, which if you've ever done roofing work in July in Georgia, um, it'll make you appreciate your education. Uh, <laughs> but when the house was done, uh, we did the dedication to the family and it was a single mom who had uh, five kids and uh, Warwick Dunn, who was the running back here for Atlanta Falcons, donated Drafted all by the Tampa of, Bay Buccaneers. That's right. Donate, his mom was killed, uh, and she was a police officer. And so he used his community outreach to find families in need, and he donated all of the inside, all the uh, – the, the beds, the utensils, all of the uh, utility, all that stuff was donated. So when the house they moved in, it was fully furnished. He's a good man. Great man. Unbelievable what he's done. And so um, we were there for the ceremony, saw the family go in. Everything was was wonderful. Local news was there. And then that was it. And so um, that was in 2006. So 2016 – uh, I'm reading ESPN between conference calls at work, <laughs> and there is a picture of a of a young guy who's from my hometown. His name is Deshaun Watson, and Deshaun uh, played football for Clemson, won a national title, got drafted by the Houston Texans. And on that picture, he was still at Clemson at the time. This was his senior year. There was a picture of him building a Habitat house on ESPN, mm-hmm. and he had a hammer in his hand. So I go and I'm reading the article. And it's talking about, and of course, he was from my hometown. So I thought, oh, I need, you know, it's cool. I'll read it. So I'm reading the article and I get down to the bottom and it's talking about how his story and how he had gone Halloween, he had gone trick or treating. Uh, His mom had found a habitat tag. They were living in the projects and she had filled out the paperwork and had gotten designated and he had grown up and and he quoted as saying that was the change in his life that gave him the opportunity to do what he did and to be who he was. Mm -hmm. And I get down to the bottom of the article. And I still get I, I get the tingles when I talk about this. Is uh, I get at the bottom of the article, and there's a picture, and the picture is my dad's house of the one that we built. That's awesome. And so, bravo. Yeah. And so, after that, we had some connectivity. Uh, the year after, they did a whole uh, uh, NBC did a whole story on him and the, and the house, and I got to go back and see his mom and, and aunt. And the, the point of that whole story is that the blessing for us was the fact that we actually got to see the impact of that community involvement. Mm-hmm. You got to see it from point A to point Z. It's profound. And, and, and now he's got a foundation, mm-hmm. and he's doing the same thing and building Habitat Homes and donating to other friends. So, so, so the spider web has just gotten all from, again, something that was really negative in my life. And so I tell that story because, again, this time of year – you never know where that $10 donation is going. You never know what that hour community service is doing for a family. Um, but I'm here to tell you it can have a very profound impact. Uh, and if you are blessed enough to be able to see it all the way through or stay involved, the, the payoff at the end sometimes can be absolutely incredible. That's awesome. That is a terrific story. Harris, thank you for sharing that with me. You're welcome. And with our listeners. Uh, good job, Deshaun, giving it back, paying it forward as well. And, you know, to everybody else out there who we are not talking about, this is the time of year to do that. And giving back to me, uh, as I've gotten older, I can tell you that it's pure joy. And so if you're feeling down or you're feeling frustrated today, um, why don't you just go be nice to somebody? Even if it's as simple as a compliment or bringing a cup of coffee to, you know, one of your elderly neighbors who's been shut in because they're scared of the sickness out there, um, do something nice and you'll feel good about yourself and much better about your day. You make that a habit. I promise you, your life will be a little bit better. Um, so before we go, I want to thank our sponsor again, Practice Quotient, PPO Analysis and Negotiation and the top tier PPO analysis negotiation firm for top tier dental professionals. Uh, They're at www.practicequotient.com or you can call their offices at 470-592-1680. A couple things that you mentioned there that we want to make sure that we mention on the show is the Georgia Dental Association right around the corner because we are broadcasting live in Atlanta, Georgia. We could probably 
roll a golf ball and go hit Scott and Frank. What's up, boys? How That's y'all right. doing? That's right. Give give the shout out to my friends of the Georgia Dental Association. They are the reason for the season when it comes to our business, and we appreciate their partnership very much. Same with Alabama as well. Zach Studstill, Michelle Warren, and, and Coella Jenkins in, in, in Alabama also have been great partners for us uh, without that association. And if you ever want to find our team, uh, or learn about what we do and how we help dental professionals, uh, both investing in their retirement plans and their practice and also personally, uh, if they need financial planning, things like that, go through your association, go through that state association, either the GDA or ALDA. Uh, our information's all over their website. Easy to find. I'm the guy with the crazy last name. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Harris G is the man in Alabama and Georgia when it comes to money. And you know, the one thing that I like that you guys do, so that's, uh, I mean, we're peas in the pod in, in so many ways, but one of the things is that we speak the same language and I understand exactly what you're doing. And they're bringing institutional investing prowess, um, to, um, really small business owners. And you would not have access to that without your respective organized dentistry, um, associations. And so you should, um, thank them and, I would like to thank all of you listeners out there in listener land. I appreciate your time and hope that you have a wonderful uh, day and afternoon. Until next time, this is your host, Patrick O'Rourke. (laughs) 